Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are wrapping up um, the mini-series inside of the overall program year theme. The whole program year theme is, is what he said, and we've been talking about what he said about faith. Today, we're wrapping that up, and then next week, Dan is going to launch our um, next little mini-series. It's the Advent series, what he said about the Messiah. Um, I will be not too far out of town, but I will be in the woods somewhere deer hunting. is probably the better way to say it than random killing of things. So <laughs> let's just remind ourselves what kind of church we are. We're not one of those, right? We're not one of the... We're, we're just, we're okay. I just like the taste of venison, so that's where I'll be. Um, and then today, after worship in our Omega Hour, just to give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about, we're going to discuss free will um, and what scripture and, and some philo- philosophical thoughts about free will. And you're probably thinking, oh, the, you're going to have a discussion on how we have this free will to, no, <laughs> spoiler alert, we don't have free will. Um, and if that's something that you're like, well, I thought for sure we did. It's a common misconception that's out there. And we're going to go through some of those ideas uh, in Omega Hour just to kind of give you an understanding of a more biblical perspective of that concept of free will. But today, we have in front of us um, the idea of great faith. And this comes from Matthew. Um, Matthew is certainly my favorite gospel. It is uh, one that I had to write a thesis on when I was in school. Um, I like it because it's written specifically to be used in worship in church. It's kind of the liturgical gospel, if you will. Um, It's the only gospel that even mentions church in it. And Matthew just does this brilliant job of writing out not just the story of a sequence of events, but giving us little glimpses into the kingdom. It's a very kingdom-oriented gospel. And what we're ha- what we have in front of us today is just after the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has been preaching. Um, he's been talking about all of these things. And then the very next thing he does is he cleanses a leper in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And then in verse 5, we have a centurion come to him. So just after preaching all about the kingdom to all of the people gathered, primarily Jewish people, a centurion, a Gentile, one of the Roman soldiers, comes to him. And there's an interesting discourse, and I'm even going to offer an alternative translation in here that I truly believe is better and more correct than what is probably in your, in your Bible. But I promise you I've got good defense on, on why we're going to do that. Because this is the word of our Lord, would you please stand? When he, that is Jesus, entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. 
I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to start with what I believe is a, a better translation of what Jesus says. And I'll give you some of the dorky Greek background on this. Uh, as an inflective language, generally speaking, um, in, in the written language especially, you can skip over pronouns. Sometimes the pronouns are just sort of, I don't know, a given in the verb construction. Like going to would be I'm going to. You kind of pick it up from the context. In our context, that's not exactly what Jesus does. Not only does he use sort of an emphatic double pronoun at the beginning of the sentence, it's, it's something that wouldn't even normally be included, and that's how Matthew writes in the rest of his gospel. So what I'm going to suggest today is we have a, a slightly different translation than what is most often translated in your scriptures. Because it's a question. And I want to talk first, before we get into that, I want to talk about the power of questions. There's great power in asking questions. And, and to many of you, just individually, I have said this so many times, ask questions. In fact, oftentimes when, when I'm in a situation where I'm doing counseling or talking to somebody one-on-one, -on -one, I, I do something I call playing small and stupid, right? I, I just get small and stupid and just... I don't understand. Tell me more about this. Tell me more about that. When we have our, our build team meetings, it's really easy for me to get small and stupid because I don't know anything about buildings, right? I don't know anything about construction or HVAC or any of that kind of stuff. So I'll get really small, really stupid, and then as, as people start to explain the basics of it, you get just greater and greater understanding. Instead of just saying something or giving advice or putting my input in, when you ask these questions, you start to develop this whole different rapport with a person. You start to, to connect with them. You show them that you're interested in them. You show them that, that, that you care. And when you ask a question, instead of just an answer, instead of giving an answer, answering a question with another question, you build a, a conversation and a dialogue. And, and Jesus is, is great at asking questions. And, and the people of God should be constantly asking questions. That's something I want to, another myth I want to dispel, that we shouldn't ask any questions about our faith, about theology or Christianity, or what about evolution, or what about this. If, if our faith was so weak that a few questions causes it to crumble, then we probably shouldn't believe in it. <laughs> right? So there's, there's no question that you have in your mind or a question that's on your heart about what we believe, why we believe it, what the Bible says, and, and how do we understand it, and how do we defend that. There's no question you have that we haven't asked ourselves, Dan and I and, and pastors for thousands of years haven't asked and sought answers. 
And, and I can tell you, if, if, it, if there weren't really good answers to those tough questions, I, I would have bailed on this whole faith thing a long time ago. If, if I couldn't find answers to these questions, I'm not the kind of person who's going to continue down a path that I didn't believe in. But I do have this faith, and I do have it founded not on the answers to questions, but on the gift from God. And that's the, the story of our faith today, is the faith of the centurion is truly a gift from God, because what Jesus really says is, will I? Here it is. Will I come and heal him? ULV is unauthorized Luke version, by the way. <laughs> Will I come? It's actually most likely what really transpired. Jesus says, will I come in? Because the context is, of course, he has just been with all of these Israelites, all of these Jewish people preaching about God's kingdom, understood by the Jewish people. And now a centurion comes. The only other time that he, he speaks to somebody with great faith, by the way, is, is the woman the Canaanite woman who comes to him and says, my daughter is being just pestered by this demon. Come and, and heal her. And he puts her off and says, no, I come to Israel first. So Matthew is a very Israel-first oriented gospel. And here comes a centurion, not an Israelite. And by the way, <laughs> Israel is at that moment, and Jesus himself being a Jew and Israelite, Israel at that moment is occupied by Rome. We actually are in a time when we can get a pretty good idea of what this would be like. It would be like, let's say Jesus is Palestinian, and to him comes an IDF soldier and says, I desperately need your help. Wouldn't a, a Palestinian say, like, me? <laughs> you want me to help you? Or, or a a, a, a soldier from Russia coming to a Ukrainian and saying, I need you to help me. Really? You want me to help you? So Jesus says, will, will I, me? me? You want me to come and heal him? It's a beautiful question. Because what it does is it, is it draws out of the soldier a conversation about his identity, who he is, and who Jesus is, and a great discourse on faith, not from Jesus, but from the centurion. And, and there's all of these things that, that, man, there's topics out here we could pursue in a sermon about this is the wrong type of person, right? We all know that there is this natural bias that we have when it comes to sharing the gospel. We see and we go, oh, I don't know if that person would really want to hear about it because that person is like that, and those natural biases that we have. Jesus doesn't have a natural bias against the centurion. What Jesus is doing is drawing him in to illustrate to the people who are gathered around him. We can, we can make this assumption that there's lots, thousands of people following Jesus, almost entirely Jewish people, and he's, he's drawing out from the centurion something for them to hear. Not for Jesus, but something for all of us to hear who are in the kingdom. Now, the soldier's response is truly dramatic. 
Um, when you just read the scripture, you go, okay, that sounds nice. But it's, it's truly dramatic because what it does is it gives to us uh, an insight into what the soldier knows. And what the soldier knows is that when it comes to the kingdom of God, there are echoes of the kingdom in this world in which we live. Now, I, I preach all the time about the world that we live in is very different from the kingdom of God. That is true, and I preach that in a very general and sort of generic sense, but of course there are little echoes everywhere of the way in which God's kingdom also operates. You know, when, when we do communion and, and, and people come forward, uh, you know, I commune. I always commune parents first, by the way, as much as possible, or at least one of the parents first, just to try and illustrate parent, you know, faith goes from parents to children. Just kind of that's the order that it goes. And when I do the blessing of children, oftentimes I'll say, your dad here on earth is awesome. And man, does he love you. But you have a dad in heaven who loves you even more. You have a father in, in heaven who is even greater than your dad. And it's fun to watch little kids, you know, with, with their dad being all big and strong and just their eyes get really big. And they're like, really? Yeah, really. You have a father in heaven who is even greater than your father. And your father on earth is awesome. But your father in heaven is even greater. See, there's this echo. And, and we can use that to say, just as your dad will, will help you, your father in, he in heaven will help you too in much greater ways. And just like your dad here on earth will protect you, you have a Father in heaven who is interested in keeping you safe all the way until you see him at the resurrection. See, there, there's these little echoes everywhere, but what the, the centurion is talking about is authority. And, and what he does is he says, I know how this thing works. And if it works like this on earth, then it will work like this in heaven. I'm just going to read for you again what he says. So I'm going to read it in a different tone this time. Jesus is me? You want me to come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. See, it's different when it's a question, right? You want me to come? Whoa, whoa, I didn't say come to my house, because I'm not worthy for that. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. He says, I'm kind of a middle management guy, right? He's a centurion. He's not the top. He's not a general, but he's not a foot soldier, right? A centurion would have a hundred men under him. He says, I know how this authority thing works, I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard that, he marveled. So the echoes of the kingdom here is, is the centurion saying to Jesus, I kind of know how this would work, because the way it works here is when it comes to authority, when you're in authority over somebody, you tell them to do something, and they do it. And when I'm told to do something, I do that. That's, that's how this thing works. And he elevates Jesus. And he, and he says, in a sense, you are at the top of the food chain. And this, this disease is under you. Now think about that for a second. He's not talking about people. 
He's not even saying demons, as, as the woman, the Canaanite woman will say later. He's not talking about those things. He's talking about the very laws of nature. The man is paralyzed. The very, the very laws of nature, health, physics, biology, all of those things, he's saying you are above all of that. That is why the faith is so great. That's why Jesus marvels. He goes, oh, you don't think that I'm an important person and that I'll be so important that other persons will do what I say. You don't think that I'm sort of a political leader and that I'm going to, to do things to, to change our culture and our society or a warlord who's going to kick out the Romans. You understand that my authority extends over all created things, even life. The centurion understands, and Jesus even says, it mentions his belief, says that he is a, a person of faith. Now, this is a centurion. He's not supposed to get this. Jesus comes first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, not because Jews are better, but it's a natural sequence. It's a, just a natural order of things. It's like when you're cleaning your house. I always think that the last thing we should do when we clean our house is the floors, right? Because that's where you wipe the crumbs, <laughs> right? Maybe you don't, but I have kids who have the job of cleaning the table, and that's where the crumbs go, always on the floor. So you don't start with the floors and then wipe the tables. Now you've got crumbs on the floor. That's just a natural order of things. First you do this, and then you do that. The Jews have been waiting for the Messiah. It's natural for them to look and to see, well, he fulfills all of these prophecies. He's done all of these things that the Old Testament said he was going to do. The, the people that, that we've read, the, the prophets, Isaiah and others, we've read them so many times. We understand and then, oh, here he is. He's doing all of that stuff. And then the door is opened to the Gentiles as well. But, but this Gentile is sort of whoop, ahead of schedule, right? He's, he's in front of even most of the Jews. Most of the Israelites don't understand who Jesus is at this point in time. In Matthew's narrative, in his timeline, Matthew hasn't even been called yet. He's, he's called after this event. Jesus doesn't even have all of his 12 disciples gathered with him. And he's, he's already, the centurion is already ready to say, you, you are, are different from all other people who have come before, other prophets, other rabbis, other teachers, you are different. So in the echoes of the kingdom, he understands something about faith. And what that is, is that faith, understood properly, puts us in our place. <laughs> faith puts us in our place, which is not here, it is here. Faith reorients our understanding of ourselves. When Jesus says you have great faith, we tend to think of somebody with great faith. We can go through lists of people who have great faith. There's a, a, a man who uh, I'm sure is, is past and gone now. I, don't, I haven't kept up with them, but when I was a student, when I was a, in seminary, this man, his wife had died in, in a car accident. He was elderly and his, he was probably 85 or so years old. And, and he comforted me <laughs> because his wife died in an accident. And I always thought, man, that guy has great faith. 
But Jesus says the first will be last. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to be the least. You see, we model our understanding of faith from the centurion by elevating God to the place he's supposed to be. And that's uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable because we think that if we have faith, then there ought to be some type of reward. If we have faith, life ought to be more simple, easier, and just in general, better. But that's, that's not at all what the scriptures actually say. In, in fact, Jesus says, you will experience trouble and difficulties in this world because of Jesus. <laughs> and then he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. No, things don't get better and easier because of great faith. Oftentimes they get more complicated, difficult. We sacrifice, we, we give up things that are unhealthy and sinful. We work to repent and do that which is good. And sometimes that offends people when we proclaim the truth. Sometimes it is, it is challenging to live that life because we're tempted to live according to the values of the secular world. It's, it's a challenge and a difficult thing to have great faith. But if we're to have great faith, and Jesus in our gospel this morning is, is lauding the, the centurion because the centurion places himself below Jesus. If we're going to have great faith like that, the model really isn't the centurion or the Canaanite woman who, who has rightly lowered herself before Jesus. The model really is Jesus because Jesus does exactly this when he becomes man. He is the Lord and creator of the universe. Right? He is, he is all-powerful. He, he is beyond comprehension when it comes to time and space, and yet he becomes localized in a person, a human being. God becomes flesh, which is what we'll be looking forward to at Christmas. And he didn't pop into earth as a fully grown man like, oh, like, like I would have done, right? If I was God, I'd, I'd show up like all jacked and abs and stuff. Mostly abs. I wish I had abs again. Someday, I keep telling myself. Right, be all jacked and like, ready to go. No, it became a baby. Frail. Vulnerable. Entirely dependent. Right? Completely dependent on human beings to keep them alive. That's, that's amazing how low he places himself. But that's not the lowest, right? He, he takes on scorn, and he is despised, and he is mocked. He is beaten, he is killed, and he is put in the ground. That's the lowest, the lowest we can be. This is where the target of our faith puts us. If we're to shoot high for great faith... We must shoot low into the tomb because there it is that Jesus paid for our sins. When, when he was separated from God, when he, was, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he himself bears the sins of the world. This is not glorious and victorious, even though we call it Good Friday. It's not glorious and victorious. It is defeat. And then God elevates him. 
all the way to his own right hand. The Father takes his son, Jesus, true God and true man, elevates him to a place of most glory and puts all things under his feet. So you understand that that that's the same dynamic we have in our faith. And the only reason we are even allowed to think this way and do this is because he has paid for our sins. Because of his death and resurrection, we believe in eternal life. And that's our glory. That that is our ascension, not to the right hand of God, but to an eternity with a new world and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ who are raised from the dead with us, who are judged to be holy and perfect and blameless, sinless, not because of what we have done, but rather because what if he has done for us. And as I said in the the children's message, that washing clean of the waters of baptism has eternal echoes. In the same way, we need to wash ourselves on a daily basis. I remind my kids that all the time. It's got to be every day. (laughs) We require that. We require constant reminding. We have been washed clean It is a permanent thing that has echoes into eternity. If we can give our little children a bath and and get them not stinky anymore, right? We can scrub those just gross feet and they, they come out smelling nice. Our God can wash us spiritually, which he does in the waters of baptism, made possible by his death on the cross. But that's that's really who we are, and that's really what we are. We are these, these spiritual children, vulnerable. We, we are frail, but we are washed, we are clean, we are loved, and we have eternal life. So as we consider faith moving towards this Advent season of anticipating the coming Christ, Not the one who arrived 2,000 years ago, but the one that could arrive any moment, today, tomorrow, or 2,000 years from now. At any moment, Christ might return. We prepare ourselves. That's what Advent's about, preparing ourselves. The way in which to do so is have great faith by humbling ourselves and recognizing who God is, what he has done for us. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Tangential to that, of course, is going to be Omega Hour, where we understand free will, really a humble opinion of that is a low opinion of will. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of faith that you have given to me and to all of us gathered here. I give you thanks that you have washed us clean by the power of baptism. In those waters, you raised us up to new life. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would grant each and every one of us great faith, that we might lower ourselves and be humbled in your kingdom so that others might see what faith is, how it expresses itself in life, and that others might be drawn to you and to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.